Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guests on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. With that, let's get on with the episode. Alrighty, welcome to Inside Scoop. We have Seth Golden, the Chief Market Strategist from Finan Group. You know, we had him on previously. Um, you know, I'm Sean Emery, the founder and CIO of Avery and Company. We run a high conviction equity strategy. Uh, I want to welcome, obviously, you, Seth, and, and welcome you. back. It's an interesting time to, uh, to yes. bring you on. Um, obviously, you and I collaborate offline plenty. You know, we share charts, you know, uh, collaborate on some of our thoughts. I think last time we spoke was maybe October. Um, yeah. I believe that was the time. It was either you know, yeah. a month before or a month after. Peak inflation fear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, our belief that inflation was subsiding and was going to subside even more, specifically in some of those month over month numbers, some of those year over year numbers, all across the board. Again, you know, CPI gets the headline, but, um, you know, PCE is out there and, you know, PPI is out there as well. We saw what that was this week. Um, Throw on everything else, another some more fairy dust on you know Silicon Valley <laughs> Bank and Credit Suisse and all the nuances that are happening there, the yield curve and and such. So what I wanted to do today was you know first give you a chance to, for the individuals that haven't listened to you previously. You're a big follow on Twitter, but also you know you run the Phenom Group. So just tell us a little bit about that so sure. we can get into the mix. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for bringing me on again. Uh, uh, we started Phenom Group in uh, Christmas Eve of uh, no, I'm sorry. The day after Christmas on 2017, um, and it's a it's a boutique macro market research firm. Uh, we help to educate uh, investors, traders of all walks of life. Whether you're a novice, intermediate, consider yourself an expert. Maybe you're running your own fund. Um, so you know, every week we do macro market research reports as well as videos. Uh, everything from technical analysis, fundamental analysis, and quantitative analysis. Uh, we have high conviction strategies related to uh, volatility trading uh, and just general long-term investing, uh, trading philosophies, strategies uh, to keep investors engaged, keep them in the market. The only, win- only way to win is to stay in the market long-term. We're not one of those, you know, get in and out, try to time things as I often try to educate investors that, um, you know, the best strategy, uh, time-tested, as well as rate of return is buy and hold only followed by uh, dollar cost averaging and then you know just uh, scheduled allocations and very at the very bottom of the list is market timing uh, so you know that's that's what we do at phenom group I specialize also privately I do a lot of consulting for hedge funds uh, and uh, within the consumer packaged goods space so your companies like um, I don't know you name it uh, Pepsi coca-cola Pure Green Mountain dr. pepper Nestle, you know, Kellogg's, General Mills. I've had engagements with all of these consumer packaged goods companies over the years and retailers like Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Macy's. Uh, I used to do a lot of sell-side analytic works on, on the retail and consumer packaged goods space. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion, if you're going to be a good investor, you have to have an understanding of the economy as well as just the consumer. The 70, 75% of our GDP is consumption. If you know the consumer, you'll probably do well as an investor. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no. So, you know, we're going to go in kind of, you know, a windy road here, um, just given the environment. And I think, you know, there's a couple areas that are just super important to touch on at a very high level. You know, the state of the macro 
you know, that can be dissected into so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it includes inflation. You know, it includes, you know, what the Fed could or could not do or say or hint at. Um, you know, how we've been thinking about, you know, slightly around, you know, some of the challenges out there. We have the, at least to us, the famous wheel of death, which is, you know, the supply chain issues that started essentially then volatile demand, which, you know, everything from, you know, goods to services back to, you know, potentially goods and see what happens with services to other inflation dynamics, whether it's food and, and, and whatnot. Then you, you know, last year we ran into the, the Russia-Ukraine issue, which just exacerbated some of the issues that were out there, specifically around commodities. And then ultimately that feeds into what is the Fed going to do and where we are in the, the Fed right, uh, raising cycle, hiking cycle, uh, and when that will end. So everybody knows what the cost of capital is going forward. Um, and, you know, business can get back to business, uh, like we like to say. So, you know, let's dissect some of those uh, in general. I think, you know, give us your level, you know, the state of the macro, broadly speaking, yeah. and, you know, some of the dynamics around inflation. Sure. And uh, forgive me if I get long winded. Yeah, no way problem. Good uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the way that I've uh, envisioned things playing out into the end of last year and here in the early part of this year is that uh, you know we would avoid a recession uh, through year end 2022. Uh, Q1 uh, had the better chance, just from a technical standpoint, uh, to generate a recession because we are simply lapping uh, high comparisons from last year. So you can get a technical rate of change issue in all manners of GDP and metrics. Having said that, I don't think a lot of people anticipated the acceleration that we saw coming into the new year, just a lot of economic activity that seemingly was, uh, you know, spirited from some late 2022 pent up demand. There was a lot of layoffs going on, uh, going on in the fourth quarter of last year. And that seemed to, um, you know, provide this, uh, you know, headwind for consumer spending, personal uh, consumption. And then when people realize, oh, by the way, I still have a job, I still have a paycheck here in the new year. You know, I might as well go about my life. Uh, there's still not yet a recession, and there's still, you know, uh, nearly 11 million job openings. <laughs> so that's 1.9 job openings for every unemployed person. Uh, if there was a market to uh, rent out jobs, I mean, line me up, you know, because that's a lot of available jobs that are currently vacant. So with the dynamics that we have, so far as the corporate balance sheets and the household balance sheets as well as what's going on in the labor market, tight as it may be, you have these cushions underlying the economies should any kind of economic strike, uh, strife or some kind of blow hit the economy. Uh, to your point earlier, SVB, right? That's going to, you know, uh, the SVP, SVB collapse, sure. now First Republic. And then yesterday you get um, some more sprinkling of uh, the Credit Suisse situation. And, you know, these are the, the headlines are pervasive. Uh, the households see them in their nightly news and they think to themselves, wait a second, do I need to move my money somewhere? Do I need to leave this bank and go to another bank? Well, within that consideration, there's generally also some uh, pullback in demand. They're, they want to they see the, the uh, most consumers, most households will want to see those headlines dissipate before they go out and start spending again. And usually that's a good you know, couple of weeks. Uh, so I look at the high frequency data to give me more of a real time understanding of you know what the sentiment is out there in consumer land. Red uh, Johnson's Red Book comes out every single week. 
It's a broad sample of U.S. national retail sales. Um, so that's going to be my go-to. It comes out every Tuesday, and that'll give me a good idea of the impact from some of these recent headlines, as well as the overall pullback in the markets. I mean, we lost everything. We were up a good almost 10% in the S&P 500 at the peak this year, and we literally gave up everything. So you, you, know, you put that all in the blender, and we really need to see how the average household continues or pulls back on their spending. And that'll give us a good purview into the resiliency going forward of the consumer. Because uh, I know a lot of the investment banks, the, a lot of investment houses out there, Goldman Sachs this morning, decided that they were going to raise their recession probability to 35% from 25%. Mind you, they lowered it to 25% in January. So here we are in March, and they're back to 35%. It just goes to show you, if anybody's trying to forecast the near-term outlook for the economy, let alone the market, I mean, that's just a dangerous game to play. We, you know, we're kind of in this uncertain period where, you know, is the Fed or isn't the Fed? Are they going to pause? Are they going to go 50 basis points, 25 basis points? You know, in speaking to that element, um, I guess you could say it's a little bit of a gift, um, you know, for some some easing of the hawkishness in this rate hike cycle, you know, going into these SVB situation and the Credit Suisse and First Republic, uh, as well as the recent inflationary data, uh, everybody was looking at 50 basis points. The, the CME Fed watch toll, 50 basis points had the highest probability for next Wednesday's FOMC meeting, 50 basis point rate hike. Within a week, you know, we were talking about with all of these different events occurring, uh, no rate hike was actually at one point in time yesterday, the highest probability. And now it's back to being 25 basis points. But I don't think anybody is anticipating a 50 basis point at this stage now with only one week to go. And, you know, it's, it's really going to get interesting. The day before, whatever this, the Fed fund futures are pricing a 60% probability or better. So it's either a pause has the 60% probability, meaning no rate hike, or 25% has a 60% probability. Whichever one it is, that is what's going to happen on Fed Day. Historically, that's never been wrong. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes down. I think they're going to do 25 basis points simply because they want to get this last one out there. Um, and the ECB, uh, European Central Bank, they did 50 basis points today in spite of the fact that there are these credit suites uh, issues out there. Uh, my outlook is that the consumer is resilient. Inflation is coming down continuously. We are nine months straight of CPI down, PPI down. We are more than three percentage points in CPI being lower, telling us that Fed or no Fed, see, you know, inflation's coming down. The PPI had a negative month over month print, telling us that you know that's a leading indicator of CPI. The cover is there. All the cover is there for the Fed to, if they desire to do a 25 basis point hike and signal that they're willing to pause, they can do that. If they don't want to risk the financial stability of the system, they can also pause at the next meeting and not do any rate hikes. Uh, I'm just not too confident in one way or the other, which they're going to do at this point. I let Fed fund futures be my guide <laughs> the morning before. Yeah, and a lot can change, right? Um, just given the fact that we have the Credit Suisse uh, still out there, right. we have you know the lingering you know commotion around all that. Um, I'm just reiterating some of the stuff. So 
you know, I have this chart here, which, you know, basically shows, uh, you know, core PC or CPI um, using real time real estate data and what, you know, the current would be if you use like apartment list and Zillow and some right, of the others. Right. Uh, and then also using it on a six month annualized, you get a, you know, a core rate of on a six month annualized at 2.1% while the actual number, you know, using um, the kind of stated data that's inside the release is 5.1. So there's a big mismatch between those two. Right. Um, obviously, some of the other stuff are lagged as well. You could say used car prices actually ticked higher and didn't reflect that. But, you know, this is such a big component of the overall index um, that it matters more. And it's one of the reasons why they got it wrong the first time to begin with, um, right. which is, you know, using this type of information. So that's that's interesting. I, I wanted to bring up also that uh, a tweet that you had around liquidity per household. Right. Um, and I think that you, what you're trying to infer here is essentially, you know, the, the buffer uh, that's potentially sitting there uh, inside of households. So if you just wanted to share some, you know, data, this is on your Twitter, but share some data. Right. On it. Yeah, I mean, the, the average household, you, know, you break it down by decile. That's what's done here in this chart, the top 20 decile, you know, the, the middle, the, the 60 to 80, and then all the way down to the lower 20 uh, percent decile, the cash balances are still well above where we were pre-pandemic. So 2019, you know, cash balances, no matter whether it's high income, middle income, lower income, the cash balances are still very strong. And, you know, this was from Morgan Stanley, uh, but we also have data from Bank of America research that came out earlier this month that, you know, pretty much shows the same thing, whereby uh, you know, retail sales, card spending data for Bank of America clients. And people say, well, why Bank of America? It's because they have the largest number of depositors in the United States. So their card data tracking is obviously going to be the majority of consumers. Um, and so all of this shows that, you know, heaven forbid, we should run into a situation in the economy where, you know, we start losing jobs, which is still probably a, way, uh, probably a ways off. Um, the average household has you know, ample amount of savings cushion um, as, as well as you know, their leverage is very strong. They have liquid assets. Their homes uh, are, are very liquid at this point, mainly because we have, we're back to record low inventory in terms of listings on the market. Uh, and while you know, that's happening, you also have this dynamic where we have mortgage rates that are probably going to come back down a good 50 basis points within the next week or so, reflecting what's going on in the treasury market. Um, and so we might run into the situation again where we have multiple bids on houses and people are bidding above the asking price. Um, and that's all predicated upon, you know, if indeed those mortgage rates come down enough. But either way you slice it, you know, the consumer is just in really good shape. Everybody's been calling for, you know, consumption pullback. Retail sales have been down on a month over month basis, five of the last eight months. Uh, and there's, again, just been some anomalies around this data from a seasonal perspective, uh, how, how the data is gathered from November to, you know, December of last year. And then we had this breakout January retail sales print of 3%. Well, there's no way you're going to jump over that on a month-to-month -month basis. That is one of the highest prints you're going to see outside of a pandemic. Uh, so naturally, the month-over-month -month was down for the month of February. But overall, you have retail sales growing at almost 6% annualized, still 
in the third year post the pandemic. Uh, historically, you've never had a recession when you're growing retail sales at a 6% annualized clip. Last year, we were growing them 8.5%. I said the same thing. Anything above 6%, you've never had a, you've never had a recession that year. Sure. I mean, I'm bringing it up here, but you know, the Fed tracker, which tracks GDP, ironically, you know, yesterday hits, you know, the highest level it's been tracking all quarter. And a lot of that is due to consumption, uh, which I think, you know, is, you know, stated to grow at, you know, roughly four, 5%. Um, and these are real terms, which is interesting as you, you start to, you know, back out and think about, you know, um, adjusting for inflation right. uh, based off spend. Um, you know, you see some of, let's say the department stores or some of the areas, uh, within the consumer that, you know, like for like basis year over year are maybe struggling. Um, but the reality is, is um, a lot of that is they pulled some, you know, demand forward maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, yeah. They're lapping many of those. Some of them are trying to be prudent in terms of not bringing on too much inventory. So restricting the amount of inventory, uh, therefore, you know, could hit sales. Um, and but you're then seeing, you know, Delta came out and uh, I believe, you know, last week or this week and basically highlighted yeah. how, you know, they're seeing their best 30 day uh, revenue ever. Um, and, you know, I find that to be, you know, frankly, pretty interesting. Uh, so, you know, the, the consumption is just shifting more right. broadly speaking, um, you know, pushing, you know, into some other areas and, I, and I'll, I'll just quickly, uh, you know, share some stuff from yesterday, which was, uh, again, what I do most of the time is listen to earnings reports, right? And that's kind of like my day to day, um, to be quite honest and analyzing these businesses and, you know, a very up-to-date point of view of the world is you have a $20 billion revenue run rate business in Adobe that essentially touches right. all marketing professionals and creators. Beat on bottom, beat on top, and raise guidance. Exactly. And then you have UiPath, which, you know, is, call it an important tool within, you know, automating tasks inside of corporations. They're very much at the enterprise level. And, you know, they came out with a pretty strong guide um, for the full year, basically, you know, reiterating the, the plan they laid out um, late last year. So you have, you know, these two companies real time i mean they had everything out there to say you know let's you yeah. know let's be a little bit more conservative here um that's as real time as it gets visa spoke yesterday as well visa said they're not seeing any you know disruption in in their payments in terms of uh where people are spending money paypal said the same thing i think uh you know i tweeted yeah, out that uh, morgan stanley investor conference paypal said that they were seeing um of what they expected uh, consumer discretionary spending on their platform transactions. Yeah. The, uh, the, vo the transaction volume was above where they had anticipated coming into the year. Yeah. So, so again, those are just, you know, we get, we get the data, the hard data, we get, you know, the soft data in terms of survey. And I know you have a nice opinion on that. Um, but then also, you know, you have some of the, you know, the, 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 the mosaic of these companies that are, are, are pretty important just talking about now what's important as well for like the fundamentals of, call it the economy, but for the companies is that, you know, last time we spoke, that was in October, you know, and even before that, six months, 12 months before that, everyone was saying recession, recession, recession. And, you know, I just showed the Fed now gas growing at, you know, three and change for the quarter. Right. And obviously, you know, things have changed um, in the world slightly here from a credit growth perspective and, and possibly some other things. But, you know, a lot of these companies are prepared, which is why you're seeing earning estimates start to creep back up mm -hmm. for many of these companies. So, you know, if, you, if, if we shift from, you know, macro, like very high level, um, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, inflation, uh, your, your point of view on inflation. Obviously, we had some data, but, you know, looking a little bit more forward again, 
Um, and, you know, looking out six months, what, what's your views on inflation going out? Yeah, I've, I've long I've long since said that um, the disinflationary process um, would be known to have been cemented by the fourth quarter of last year. Um, and in my view, and based on all the data that we've seen, uh, the disinflationary process is, um, you know, further cemented. Now, within that, you know, 30,000 foot view is the understanding that disinflation isn't a straight line down. You know, you, you get these hiccups. Um, and a lot of that is just because of the dynamics in consumer spending, as well as supply lines still, you know, uh, they're so much better than they were last year. And they're still improving, but we, we still have some hiccups, some starts and stops, so to speak, you know, within the su supply lines and hesitancy and ordering patterns. A, a lot of this is due to, you know, retailers uh, went shock and you're and we're talking about the biggest retailers in the world when you talk about the likes of Walmart, Target, Costco around the globe where you know their ordering cycles are still not in tune with a typical economic cycle, expansion cycle. Um so from one quarter to the next, they're still trying to offload last season's inventory which is inhibiting you know, next season's ordering cycle. And typically these retailers will order out six months. That goes with their advertising spending as well. And the reason why I add up is because that's impacting online, you know, advertisers, do advertising dollars, the likes of Meta, Google on YouTube, et cetera. Uh, even Amazon now who's disclosing their advertising revenues. Um, so, you know, I would say, I do believe that the disinflation cycle is going to continue. A lot of folks are still, they, there's this narrative that the Fed is worried about a 1970s style, you know, start, stop into the early 1980s kind of inflation. Um, I, I, I don't look at it the same way. We didn't, we don't have, we didn't have the technological advances in the 1970s, early 80s that we do today to solve these problems in a more efficient way. Um, and, and that's everything from wage inflation right down to, services and goods inflation uh, items. So, you know, I'm looking for something with a three handle by the end of this year. And, and I think a lot of times these narratives overshadow the fact that, by the way, we are about to lap some extremely high comps on a year over year basis when it comes to CPI and PPI. All of that before you get those critical, most heavily weighted components of CPI like shelter owner's equivalent rent. I'm of the opinion, well, you know, I thought we'd see it by March. And now I'm less, uh, you know, less confident that we'll see it seep into the March CPI data. But by, by Q2 is the, his, you know, the average historical lag time in those shelter uh, owner's equivalent rent data. So, you know, when that kind of stuff hits the CPI, the narratives can change extremely fast. I think a lot of folks are holding on to recency bias. They're holding on to a, a narrative about inflation absent, um, you know, the, the potential impact of that shelter owner's equivalent rent data. All else considered equal, we're not really, like if you push forward, if you do a three-month push forward on both CPI and PPI, they're historically the average, anywhere from 03 to 0.2% on a month-over-month -month basis. We've not done much more than that on any singular month since the June peak, right. you know. And, and and when you when you when you annualize that, 
you're barely at zero on an annualized basis for CPI. And I, I've also long since said everything past the June rate hike, the Fed has been over tightening. And that's why I use the three month push forward data, because it shows you on an annualized basis, if you just keep printing those 0.2s and 0.3s, you get to zero, you get to unchanged on an annualized basis. So why is the Fed tightening? Right? Yeah, no, that, so, yeah that's, so that's where I come down on these things. Yeah, that's important. And, and, and I think what's important as well, is, is the notion that you also don't want to have like material deflation, right? So you actually right. don't want to have that one month where, you know, you get a whatever, uh, one and a half percent decline month over month in price. Um, typically that is seen bad, specifically when you have an economy where, you know, people are concerned about debt. Um, right. You don't want to deflate while your right. debt is exactly. rising. Um, exactly. You it's have, just yeah. as uncomfortable yeah. as, ex, you know, elevated. Deflation is just as uncomfortable as elevated inflation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, talking about more, you know, investment valuations again, um, I'll, I'll articulate it again at the beginning, but it's a, you know, th these aren't recommendations um, for purchase or sale of any securities, but um, you know, in general, if you look at, you know, the valuations of the markets, you know, there's so many ways to slice and dice them. You could look at, you know, the caps and say, you know, small cap trading, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the low teens range, you could look at the X fang and that's trading in the, you know, mid to just below teens range. Right. You can take the fang by itself and say that's trading in, you know, the low twenties range. Um, you know, how would you characterize the value of broadly speaking, the markets? And then we can, you know, narrow in slightly. Um, and this is, you know, out of consensus. Uh, I'm, I'm generally viewed as, you know, out of consensus when it comes to valuation because, you know, my trading style and or philosophy is, you know, when I get a cheaper price, I should be buying a cheaper price. Um, if that opportunity is presented, you know, I, I want to jump on that opportunity. So I rely less on valuation as a component of my, you know, general investing exercises. Having said that, um, I do believe that the, the equity markets will just look at the S&P 500. Uh, I believe it's undervalued. And the reason why I say that, I think you had touched on earnings uh, a little bit ago, is I think that the earnings estimates came down, A, too late, right? too late in the cycle last year. Uh, and I believe that they came down too far. Uh, to your point earlier, uh, let me get my charger, sorry. To your, to your point earlier, Adobe um, and a number, a host of other companies, you know, when we look at the three month forward percent positivity earnings change for S&P 500 companies, basically guidance for Q1, okay? <laughs> to keep it simple, basically guidance for Q1 has inflected higher by a significant amount. We now have more companies that have positively guided uh, for the first quarter than we have in the last three quarters. So the analysts caught down too quickly with their earnings estimates. And now I believe that based on what we're hearing out of S&P 500 companies and what they're forecasting, this earning recession that has been you know, the drumbeat of you know, late 2022 into this year may not materialize. Uh, in fact, we, you know, if we don't fall into a recession, more than likely, all the cost-cutting activities, all the expenditure cuts, CapEx or otherwise, that we've seen from you know these large cap companies that uh, contribute mostly to the S and P 500 earnings uh, will actually still, even in a lesser revenue environment, 
they'll be able to earn more. So when I look at the valuation, I say, you know, at let's call it 17 times forward, 12 months, um, that's fair value. Why is it fair value? Because when we talk about valuation, it's comparing generally to the bond market, right? Um, and the 10-year the for today's video is at 3.5%. And oh my gosh, it was what, a week ago? Over 4 Like how you say today's. And right I, I, now I, I, at 3.30. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty interesting. I actually have some interesting news to, uh, to bring up here that's real time that just broke on my Bloomberg terminal. But um, it's, uh, let's see this thing. So we got basically all the big banks putting deposits into First Republic to shore up. So they're giving, you know, $5 billion from a couple of them. So it looks like Bank of America, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo all putting a five. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley putting two and a half each or another five there. And then, you know, a series of others essentially putting a billion each, you know, $30 billion getting thrown into First Republic. Right. I believe, you know, what do they have? Possibly 150, you, you know, probably, you know, deposit, give or take, you know, so adding 20% deposit buffer here, it sounds like, you know, I, I don't think um, them doing that is, uh, you know, a giveaway per se, but it's more, uh, uh, again, there's, there's so many ways to maybe think about this. Um, but I do think it's interesting because, you know, that is the flavor of the week right. this week and uh, right. likely yeah. going to impact next week as well. Yeah, it's why, you know, a lot of these uh, pessimistic and cynical narratives, you know, the outlook 2023 contingent on things that at, at best stay the same and at worst get worse when generally. That's not how it works, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. Just saw the way. We saw the way with uh, the Swiss National Bank stepping in overnight, you know, to shore up um, uh, Credit Suisse. And we saw the Fed and Treasury combined again take care of the situation with um, SVB Bank. So, you know, that's why I look at these narratives about, you know, the S&P 500 going to 3,200, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, things have to, you need things to get that from here. You need human to fail. You need folks to decide, nah, we're just not going to solve the problems in the pre-election year for the first time since 1981. Never had a down year in the market on a total return basis in year since 1931. You have a lot you if you're looking down right now. Um, but back, what is the historic correlation between the 10-year yield and the S&P PE with the 10, three and a half to four and a half percent? And it's eight to 19 times. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I lost you there a little bit, but I think we got the, the gist of, of a little bit or most of that. Um, and you repeated the, the valuation framework there. Yeah, we, I mean, we had the same thought or philosophy, I guess, going into the year was, you know, around, you know, taking the average yields in certain timeframes uh, and what the multiples tend to look like. Um, and, you know, again, I think when we frame it, when we look at everything and we step back, and I think that's ultimately what you have to do. You have to start at the macro and, 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 and the micro as well. And, you know, at a very high level, it's a simple, you know, conversation where, you know, you're trying to look at all the different players that make up the economy that drive, you know, future growth, you have, you know, the consumer, uh, you have housing, you know, biggest asset, biggest liability, the consumer remains fairly resilient. Again, this isn't like, you know, the robust consumer of 2020, but that also shouldn't be the yardstick. Um, right. And, you know, the normalization of the economy, I think is such an important concept 
that people have to recognize and, you know, mm -hmm. soft landing, hard landing, <laughs> recession, non-recession, you know, I, I think the best path forward is essentially a, a, a slower path. Yeah, um, I agree. And get everything slow and normal. Right. So you don't have gyrations in demand and gyrations right. in price and gyrations in Fed talk. And, you know, we can all kind of get to our normal steady state and make our, our assessments based off of, you know, a flatlined economy. You could argue the market will do probably better in a zero growth world, yeah. um, you know, because the, the market right. is like this stair step of, you know, uh, you know, sharks eating sharks and, and growing their valuation uh, on top of each other. Um, and the market doesn't always reflect like the economy to the T. Um, yep. you know, because, you know, some of the companies are, you know, more important to the economy and the ones that are more important are generally creating more value and therefore taking up more value in these indices. Um, and you know, you see the, the chart out there, the famous chart, right. Which is, you know, uh, uh market cap to GDP. Uh, um, Warren, the Warren Buffett indicator. <laughs> yeah, it was the Warren Buffett indicator. Right, I can't imagine right. he uses that too much. I think he bought Occidental like today. I know. Again, <laughs> if, uh, yeah, more and more. I came into this year, and I, I forgive me for interrupting. No, no you know, one of my calls last year, because I, I don't make a lot of broad calls. Um, but I should say one of the suggestions at Phenom Group was to stay away from energy. Um, it, it, while energy had a you know forty percent plus earnings growth for the sector, that automatically sets a high bar. But the, sure. the biggest issue was all of the shares those energy companies had been issuing since 2020. You know, so you run into this structural uh, overhead supply that becomes just an impossibility. Uh, so that was my biggest call, you know, late last year was just, look, you get your one year in this commodities boom. Everybody always talks about, oh, it's a commodities boom. It's a commodities boom. We're going to have this commodities boom cycle. And, super and, cycle, and I, super and, cycle. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, you know, these commodities booms generally last less than a year in the modern era. And that goes back to you know, our earlier conversation of, you know, people are anchored to this fear about a 70s style inflation spiral. But the, ever since the technology era, we've had such great disinflation due to the advances in technology. Why would you think human ingenuity would actually revert and not be able to solve these problems in that much expeditious fashion. So that's, that's kind of my take there. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Look, a couple more minutes here um, and we'll wrap. I think we covered a lot. Um, and, you know, just having like an open discussion about it all the, you know, the last thing is really, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, getting the fed out of the way, mm -hmm. yeah. I think is the most important factor of all of this right again it's really people just understanding the cost of capital and i think you saw you've seen that right so like going from you know half a percent one percent to you know four and a half you know is 90 percent of the way through uh, even if you assume you know we even go to like five and a half percent right so mm -hmm. it's the concept of understanding you know a lot of the the you know parabolic move in terms of you know shock to the system has happened and we talk about lags but you know the bond market was well before, you know, Fed funds. Um, so so the, the most important thing is the Fed uh, conversation next week. So, you know, there's the concept of the, you know, the dovish pause or the dovish hike and, right. the, you know, the hawkish pause. Right. Um, you know, I know you said you're, you just let the data tell you, right? And, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see that. Um, but let's say if they did hike um, mm -hmm. by 25 basis points, do, do you expect, you know, a dovish tone from the Fed or do you expect something, uh, you know, a little bit more of what we've been hearing in the past. Um, past yeah, 
Yeah, I think the best setup for the Fed, right, if we're talking about credibility and if indeed the Fed is worried about their credibility, which I think that's just a narrative in and of itself. Um, I think the ideal thing, uh, the ideal play here would be for them to hike 25 basis points, speak dovishly to all they have to. I mean, Jerome Powell says the word pause or look around the, the phrasing of an understanding that they're going to wait and look around before they make another decision. Uh, you know, definitely, I think the markets will favor that. Uh, we are already we're going to see the disinflationary benefits and in, in liquidity in M2 when it does update here for this quarter already. And then you throw on some. I, I think maybe also, Sean, is any language around QT. I think any language around what you know, is, is there just is there going to be a disruption of QT or maybe they dial it back? That will also be seen as dovish. So they actually do have a couple of avenues where they can hike and yet still appear dovish, you know, going forward, for which I, I think all manners of market participants would take that as a as a bullish outlook. The data is there. This PPI and CPI data um, has made it, you know, given them the cover to do so, uh, to pause. But you could say the ECB gave them the cover to do a, as you said, a dovish hike. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Seth Golden, everyone. Um, appreciate you, you know, coming on and, uh, you, you know, chatting Sean. again. I think, you know, just to conclude it, you know, it sounds like, you know, generally speaking, valuations are fairly attractive. If you use, you know, a model of, you know, uh, the multiple to, you know, average rates and, you know, just adjusting for that, um, you know, and I agree with that uh, myself, um, the consumer, pretty good shape. Um, the, and, and a lot of that, again, has to do with, you know, Bank of America credit card data or de deposit data, um, real-time wages actually starting to increase here in the last, you know, yes. four or six months. Yeah. Um, you have the Fed and ultimately where, where this comes to is, you know, is the Fed, you know, essentially out of the way. And, you know, I think a lot of this, the, the recent, uh, uh, stuff that it's occurred, um, has likely accelerated that pause. Um, yet we, you know, from our conversation back in October to today, much more the same in terms of the views of inflation. It's not a straight line. It's a, you know, I mean, it, if you draw from, you know, October today, it's fairly straight. Like it, yeah. um, it's fairly straight, but there's wiggles in between. Um, and expecting more of that into the future as, you know, real estate data feeds into it. You know, some of the food data um, will start to lap here. The, the commodity boom of, uh, you know, Ukraine, Russia. Um, you'll start to see some of that stuff. Oil, energy. Anyways, but with that, you know, um, I'll let you go. You know, where can they find more about, you know, Phenom Group? I, I obviously had some of, if you're watching this, we had the Twitters of both of us. Um, and you can go to those if you want a lot of the research that we, we post out there. Um, but in general, you know, to find more yeah. about, you know, Phenom Group. Yeah, just uh, you can visit us at phenomgroup.com, uh, F-I-N-O-M-G-R-O-U-P.com. We also have a YouTube channel, uh, Phenom Group YouTube channel. Uh, nice. If you're interested in, you know, broad market mac macro research, I say, you know, macro market research because we, all of our works hold the three disciplines, uh, uh, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, and quantitative analysis. So, uh, Sean, I think you actually articulated the three-legged bar stool of the uh, the bullish tilt going forward, by the way. <laughs> so, cool. Well, you. hopefully, uh, you know, either one, I see you in Central Florida here shortly, yeah. um, or two, we talk, uh, you know, in another six months. Sounds good. Thank <laughs> you again, Chad. Awesome, Seth. Have a good one, man.